This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, good morning, my friends here in Ontario. Uh, and good morning to Charlie Dobbin, who is located on, uh, well, uh, the, the island uh, out in Vancouver. Good morning, Charlie. <laughs> Morning, Frankie. How are you? Well, I'm fine. I was just reading up a little bit on where you're located, Tofino. Apparently, yeah. uh, it's the one of the best places to view sunsets. Uh, that's what we did last night, actually. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was quite overcast. But and I meant to send. I'll send you a picture after the show of what we saw last night. But I think we're going to go to again tonight. It's going to be a little clearer because last night was quite overcast. Okay. But, Tell um, folks why you're out there. I was just going to say, it. well, just to set the scene, okay? So I'm in what's called a coastal rainforest. So I'm surrounded by really some, well, lots and lots of greenery of all different shades of green, textures, all different textures, um, a lot of incredible beauty. I've seen some major bird action, you know, bald eagles and that sort of thing. But um, I'm here with a crew. There's six of us that are traveling together. Uh, we are taping episodes of what's going to be an amazing documentary series called Healing Gardens. And um, I'm going to keep everybody tuned in for when it actually airs. The series probably won't air till you know, sort of this time next year because it's a 10-episode series. And with the pandemic, it's been a bit tough really making all 10 episodes. But we're here in D.C. making three episodes. And so far, it's just been amazing. I've met some amazing people, Frank. You wouldn't believe it. Uh, I was going to say there, there has to be some stories that you can relate to us. Maybe we can get to those a little bit later on in the show. While I have a moment, let me just give the phone numbers out, and we'll come sure. back and do a little bit more exploring what you've been exploring out there in Toronto mm-hmm. to reach Charlie and ask her a question, even though she's out in the West Coast. Here's the number, 416-360-0740. And anywhere in the province, it is toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And keep in mind, our little mantra, call early, call often, one question per call. And if you happen to be a first-time caller, you let Carlos know, our operator. He'll pass the word to me, and that little ring will be for you. Okay, Charlie, who have we been meeting out there? Well, um, we started in Vancouver, and we were our episode was being taped at what's called the Natobi Memorial Garden in, uh, at UBC, so University of British Columbia. I'm telling you, this was such a beautiful garden, so peaceful. Um, like Japanese gardens mm-hmm. tend to be very low-key, but very incredibly detailed designs. You know, every rock is in the right spot. Every, every view is framed just, just so. And, uh, um, yeah, I went over a, um, a forest walk with a certified forest therapist as part of that, um, you know, sort of mental health, physical health. Uh, get out there and um, enjoy forests and greenery. Also met with a doctor who is part of what they call the Parks Prescription. And this is an initiative across Canada 
But it started in British Columbia, of course, and she's on the, the board of directors of this Parks Prescription. So the idea is that you go to visit your doctor, you've got high blood pressure or you've got, you know, severe depression or you've got something going on physically where mm-hmm. fresh air and exercise is going to do wonders for you. And it's literally writing a prescription to send you out outside and into the fresh air, into the forest with, you know, a certain amount of um, awareness, you know, breathing deeply, being quiet, listening, all this being in touch with the earth stuff. It's, it sounds a bit, a bit hippie, but I think it actually works. Getting right back to nature. Yeah, yeah. That sounds fascinating. How are things at your end? How are your swans doing? How's everybody doing? The swans are fine. The the their signets are getting bigger and bigger, and I'm I'm running into a few problems getting the <laughs> the pool finally oh, done. Well, you, you know what I need? I need yeah. someone who is really great at assembling uh, an A-frame ladder for the pool. I got this big box delivered, and there has to be forty pieces of this thing to put together. I took one look at the instruction page and I got an immediate migraine. Uh, so I've got to I've got to find out somebody who can, who's good at assembling stuff. But you know, other than that, oh, we're just fine. <laughs> anyway, we're going to take a little bit of a break now. Give Charlie a time to uh, charge up her uh, coffee cup out there in Tofino, BC. Meanwhile, uh, we'll take a break to uh, hear from our sponsors too. And be back to say hi to Sandra in Etobicoke waiting ever so patiently to speak to Charlie Dobbin here on The Garden Show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All righty, Charlie Dobbin out there in Tofino, B.C., ready to accept a call from Sandra in Etobicoke. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning, Charlie and Frank. Charlie, I envy you being in Tofino. What a beautiful mm. spot. And it's pretty cool. I'm actually staying in a, something called the Eco Lodge, which is right on the grounds of the Tofino Botanical Garden. So oh, it really oh, just wow. doesn't get better than that. <laughs> no, I do remember the starfish on the beach as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, my question is, I have Asiatic lilies um, in mm. all colors, but I need to move them. Um, obviously, they're in full bloom at the moment, just gorgeous. Mm. Do I wait till they die down and then move them in the fall, or should I dig them up after they've flowered, dry off the, the bulbs, and then move them? Yeah, I would consider, if you can leave them till September, I would. I can, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, and just make sure you know where they are. But, of course, when the flowers are done, remove flowers. Let those green stems go through the process of fattening the bulb up for next year's growth. Mm-hmm. And once they're completely yellow, of course, you can move them at any time then. And I can move them in September. Yeah, I would, or late August, depending on when all the greenery uh, just is no longer green. Okay, and should I amend the soil when I move them? Always, always remember, bulbs go into a well-drained soil. They don't want a soggy spot. They will rot. So make sure there's uh, sufficient sun. They prefer full sun. Make sure the soil, I, I love, always amend, if you can, with compost. Um, you know, organic material, you never go wrong by adding good organic matter to a soil. And like I said, make sure it's, it's got good drainage. It's, uh, you may have to add sand or whatever to make sure it drains well. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you, uh, Sandra. 
Thanks for calling. All righty, you betcha. Uh, oh, we have a, a note here from Betty Jean Carberry, subject begonias, and she sent you a picture. She said, mm-hmm. uh, listens every Saturday to us, and she really enjoys the show. I planted begonias in my planter on my porch. They looked so nice until the leaves all turned white. Do you know what it would have caused that, and what can I do? I was careful not to overwater them. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Betty Jean did send a photograph, so mm. thank you for that. Her begonias are covered in powdery mildew, I'm afraid. Um, and powdery mildew, like she said, she was careful not to overwater them, but a couple of things you can do to avoid mildew, though you can't totally necessarily avoid it, is don't ever get the foliage wet. So when you're watering things like begonias, always either water from the saucer below or just straight into the soil so that you're not getting the plant wet, if you can avoid that. I understand you guys have been getting much rain lately after such a dry... Um, oh. Super dry April, May, and June. Now you're making up for it in July. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> and uh, all right, warm, dry air can be very conducive to powdery mildew growth. So you can't do much about the warm, dry air. But when you do see evidence of white powder on the leaves or foliage of any of your plants, get off to your garden center and look for a sulfur-based fungicide. Uh, so a sulfur-based fungicide will not eradicate the fungus, but it will slow down the spread. So before you do any spraying, you, you remove any infected leaves or stems or buds or flowers. They go straight out uh, into the landfill rather than the composter, and then you treat with that sulfur-based fungicide as per information on and instructions on the package. Okay. Um, here's, here's a little trip we can take to my hometown of London, Ontario. Susan on the line. Good morning, Susan. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I, I hope my problem will be easy to solve because I have a burning bush, which is about 10 feet tall now, of course. It's about eight, nine years old, but the leaves are all shriveling up. It looks like it's lacking water, but I don't know why... That would be, I know the heat's been bad, but anyway, any suggestions? So they actually look like they're wilting or are they actually curled? Curled and wilting. Okay, so I have a burning bush uh, back there at my home in Prince Edward County, and the tips were all curling starting about two weeks ago, and I right away suspected aphids. So do um, go, go look closely. Look inside those curled leaves. Uh, a nice blast of water is one of the best things you can do when you see that, that kind of action on a plant. So even just with your hands, just, I mean, I understand it's a fairly big, big plant, so just get a fairly high spray going on your hose and just hose off from underneath and from all angles those curling tips. Uh, if the whole plant looks it's got, it's got a wilt thing going on, I mean, maybe it does have a wilt thing going on. I mean, have you been getting, I, I understand there's been a lot of rain. Have you been getting a lot of rain, Susan? We have the last week, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so they had that real hot weather, you know. Right. So did it perk up at all after the rain? No, no. Um, okay. So it's not water then. Because <laughs> if it was wilting due to lack of water, then it would perk up after water. So look closely. There must be something going on on that plant that's causing it. Likely some kind of an insect infestation. Okay. Like, could be something and simple what- like aphid. And you think just by spraying it with water, that'll hopefully get rid of them? It's a good start. Okay. Look okay. closely and see what you can see before you're doing any spraying. Take a, take a good look at the plant. See what you can identify. Look at the bark, look at the branches, look at the leaves on the top and the bottom. Do a real good thorough 
um, examination of the plan. Uh, if, you can always send me an email if you are still confused or you see something but you're not sure what it is. Um, photos are great. Pictures are great, and Frank will double-check everybody's got my email address. Yep, I'll, I'll give that in just a couple of moments, okay? Very All good. Right. Thank, you. Thank, Thank you, you, Susan, very much, and good luck with those possible aphids yeah. that are invading your plant there. Yeah. Hey, Frank. Yeah. I, I just want to say, if anybody thinks I sound a bit low-key, it's because it's only 6 in the morning oh, here. that's right. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting in what's called an eco-lodge, so it's kind of like a boarding house. And I don't want to be too over-the-top, because I'm afraid I'll wake everybody up. <laughs> well, yeah, I thought you were being rather sedate. <laughs> well, that's it. I sound like I'm very oh, tired. Like I'm you. not that tired, but I, I just thought, oh, I, I bet you I sound a bit different. That's why. <laughs> Good stuff. Just a heads-up to Ruth Morrison, who has sent you a question about her crab tea. Just to let you know, Ruth, uh, we'll deal with that uh, email in just a couple of moments. And speaking of emails, let me give you Charlie's email. Uh, it is C. Dobbin, D O B B I N, at mzmedia.com. You're listening to The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Back in just a couple of moments. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And Charlie, just before we deal with that email, uh, just to mm-hmm. advise that uh, we've got a couple of lines open right now for those who want to call in. Good time to do that right now. In Toronto, 416-360-0740. Anywhere in the province, toll free, 1-866-740-4740. Okay, the very quiet, almost whispery <laughs> sound of Charlie's voice will deal with this now. A question for... From Ruth Morrison via email, question about her crab tree. She says it bloomed beautifully and has tiny crab apples on it, but not well at all. I don't see any caterpillars on it. It has more dead branches on it every year, and how tiny leaves are on it are turning brown and die. Hope you can help me out. Thank you, Ruth. Okay, well, thank you for your email, Ruth. Now, note that this is from June 26th, so this is a couple of weeks old, Mm. this email. It could be that part of what the problem that's going on is the drought. So you know how hot and dry it was. So it could be that some of that turning of brown and leaf dropping is very connected to the, the dryness in the soil. So remember, when we get into dry situations, we have to water even our trees, not just our lawns and our flowers, but even our trees get a slow water. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like this is a, a crab apple that's been a bit neglected. Um, I, I just get the sense, you know, she says, that more dead branches every year. With crab apple trees, dormant spray should be absolutely traditionally applied to those trees every spring when the plant is dormant, and again in the fall after it becomes dormant. So dormant spray in the fall and the spring will help with any kind of fungal or insect infestations. Um, in terms of pruning, uh, depending on the size of the tree and your, your willingness to try this, crab apples, all trees, but young trees, any trees need to be pruned, to be shaped, to be um, grown to their best uh, framework, best uh, foundation, so that as they get bigger and older, they've got nice strong branches, etc. So call a local certified arborist. 
A certified arborist will come to your property, take a look at what's going on, and provide advice on what they will do for you. As far as I know, consultations are absolutely free. It's when you hire them that you're going to pay them to do the work, the pruning, the spraying, the perhaps even the deep root feeding. I'm not sure, but uh, it's very much of an on-site, very effective way of looking after our trees. Okay, uh, let's go uh, back to the phone lines here now for Doreen in Belgrave, Ontario. Good morning, uh, Doreen. Welcome to the Good show. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Doreen. We had a beautiful eight-foot blue spruce mm-hmm. that looks sick now. It had what I thought was several leaders, and I thought I should cut them all out but one. Mm-hmm. Now the tree is turning yellow and drooping. <clears throat> Doesn't sound good. Uh, so you left one leader, and this, when was all this pruning going on? In the last month or so? Two weeks ago. Um, two weeks ago. And so suddenly after you had done this removal of these multi-leaders, it drooped. Yes. So, you know what, you in Belgrade, uh, I mean, the, um, gypsy moss, gypsy moss caterpillars, the, the little caterpillars that have been wreaking havoc in, our, in the forest in Ontario and across Canada, they do love blue spruce. Did you look? Did you see any evidence of little black caterpillars? I checked all the other trees except the blue spruce for the gypsies. For that. Yeah, so that's, start with that. Um, see if what partly what's going on is that insect, because that insect... It's funny, they don't really eat any other spruce, I don't think, and they particularly love the dwarf blue spruces, the ones that are not pyramidal but are other shapes. So, you know, weeping blue spruce or or sort of the dwarf kind of um, mounded blue spruces can be very popular to them. So check check that, and then you know what, bottom line, if it's still, you're completely puzzled as to what's going on, again, call up a certified arborist. It's so hard for me to tell you exactly what to do over the radio or something like this. And an eight-foot blue spruce is a beautiful plant, so let's save it. Let's get a professional onto your property. If you can't see what's going on, get somebody in who can. Okay. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, Frank. Okay. Thanks for calling. Have, have a great weekend. Thanks for being with us on this uh, yeah. actually not a bad-looking day here in Toronto. Yeah, how is it? Uh, a little bit of clouds, but there is some blue uh, showing up occasionally, which is so I, good to note. I was going to say, you're probably tired of clouds and rain now. After oh, so much- man, I saw a guy loading animals two by two onto a big boat <laughs> the other day. <laughs> it's just, been, oh, it downpour like you wouldn't believe. Really? Yeah. Cats and dogs. Unbelievable. Yeah, Elliot, yes, Elliot has been in touch with me, talking about thunderstorms and winds oh. and... Gee. Massive amounts of rain. So, I mean, it's funny. I mean, we bitched about how cold it was, oh. sorry, how, dry, how, how dry it was, and how hot and sunny. And now, of course, uh, we're going to go the other way. <laughs> from one extreme to the other. Right. <laughs> I have a note here from Kathy McKay, and I love the way she addresses the situation. She says, Hiya, Charlie. Love your show on Zoomer. Have picked up some great tips, and I like your style. <laughs> She's got a question for you. She says, I have a small boulevard, about 5 by 10. 
uh, feet, that is, the space between sidewalk and street. There's a tree, a locust, I believe, in the middle of it, planted by the city of Pickering. Had the grass removed, weeds really, landscape cloth put down, and then river rocks up to about two feet from the tree. Loads of weeds. I know I can pull them, but my question is whether I can put vinegar on them and not harm the tree, which is about three years old. Hmm. What do you say, Charlie? Well, she's right. She could pull them, but you know it's hard to weed on river rocks. <laughs> so you know they're very. You can really twist your ankle on those round rocks. Yeah. If I was uh, Kathy, I'd head out to my local garden center, and I'd pick up um, a, a spray. It'll come in either concentrated form or in a ready-to-use spray bottle. It will, if you look at the active ingredients, the horticultural vinegar or acetic acid. So that's what we consider non-selective herbicide. And that, if you spray on the green leaves of something you don't like, particularly on a hot, sunny day, can be very effective. But the plants will turn yellow right before your very eyes if it's a nice, hot, sunny day. But you do not spray it on plants you do love because the same thing will happen to them. So um, I think I, you look for a package that has a, a graphic design on it that shows almost like interlocking brick and little weeds coming up amongst the interlocking brick, and that's that spritz to kill those little tiny, they're annual weeds, right? They seeds drop and they, they grow up and they very unsightly and can be tough to get rid of. Just get out that horticultural vinegar. It is actually quite effective. Okay. I'm going to be reaching for that bell in just moments, but a reminder, we do have a couple of lines open here uh, for you, Charlie. 416-360-0740 in Toronto. Anywhere in the province, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And maybe you missed the top of the show where we uh, have announced, of course, that Charlie is out in Tofino, B.C., recording uh, garden sh- uh, shows. The oh, What's the name of the show again, Charlie? Sorry. Oh. Healing Gardens. Healing it's Gardens. A, there you it's go. all about how gardens heal us. Yeah. So, right because they are. heal us in so many different ways, right? Right you are. Okay. Let me reach for that bell. This is for first-time caller Mike in Dorchester, Ontario. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Morning. I have um, Saskatoon berries that I brought back from uh, out west, so I got mm-hmm. them right where they grow. Mm-hmm. And I they're... They're doing well. They're producing. We've got to keep mm-hmm. the birds off them. But mm-hmm. I was wondering, when's the best time of year to prune them? And the little bit of information I've been able to find is, unlike my blackberries, this year's canes you cut down, and um, this year's canes will produce next year, and last year's canes you get rid of this year after they produced. You do a three- to five-year cycle with... Saskatoon berries. Well, how do you tell the three to five year growth? <clears throat> so, okay, so there's two different reasons for planting Saskatoon berries or amaranth here. One is for its ornamental beauty, so the flowers in the spring, berries after the flowers, and then, of course, fall color. And what it sounds like you're doing, Mike, is you've planted them not so much for their beauty, but to try and get the maximum production of berries. So to get the maximum production of berries, you need the maximum production of flowers. If it, you're growing for ornamental reasons, you would prune after it flowers. That would lower your berry count, but it would be the time to maximize, like get the most amount of flowers, appreciate those, but not get as many berries. So that's where that three to five years thing comes in. You're going to have to start a bit of a cycle. 
I mean, remember, you can, <clears throat> any time of the year, you can remove dead wood from a plant. <clears throat> so if you've got any little branches or um, something that is not thriving, on a nice dry day, you can clean up any dead wood. But for really shaping the plant, you've got to say to yourself, all right, I want to maximize flowers and maximize berries. And then what, what I would do is I'd be doing my pruning after I've picked the berries. So that would be, it might be September. I never, never do any major pruning on, on hot, hot weather, mm-hmm. if it is really hot, in July or August. Wait till it's a little cooler, end of August, September. Uh, and, but then, of course, by doing that pruning then, <clears throat> the plant is smaller next spring, you know, the following spring. So you don't have as many flowers the following spring or as many berries. But if you prune properly, you're pruning to encourage more flowers and, and again, obviously more berries for the, the following spring. So that's where that cycle comes in. Yes, and you're right. I'm doing it for the berries, not mm-hmm. for aesthetic purposes. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, just look at the plants and look at, you know, the, the um, flowers form on this year's growth. So what's growing there right now, post, post-flowering, and I guess... Your berries are ripening now. You're not picking them yet, are you? Are they still ripening? Oh, yeah. They've already come and gone. Oh, they've come and gone. So you had to chase those birds away, I guess. Yeah. So now you stand there and you look at the plants and you say, all right, I want to get, you know, this plant to have, because your, your tips, your new growth is where your flowers are going to be and your berries. So you want to maximize new growth for future, for the, you know, next year and the year after. So you don't prune every single year. Okay, I got you. I'll work on that. I also want to keep the height down because, mm-hmm. as you know, they have the propensity to grow mm-hmm. quite high, quite and small yep. bushes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want or need that. I need it down the six yeah. to seven foot height. Sure, picking height. So, yeah, it makes sense. Yep. So, so stand back, really study, and think about that as you're looking. Because you, whatever pruning you do, say, today or tomorrow, is going to have to hold you for the next three years. You're not going to do any more major prune again. No. Until then, right? But would I have to take out some of the older growth right down at the root? Um, maybe not yet. How old are these plants? They're about five years. Yeah, I don't think yet, but yes, probably about five years from now you will. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Good. Thank you, Mike, for joining us. Yeah, don't be a stranger. Uh, (laughs) There was a first-time caller for us. I want to have a moment here. We've got a blank slate as far as um, looking at the monitor. Uh, So, folks, you can call in any time. But, well, let me take this opportunity to find out from Charlie as she's out there in the West Coast, now in Tofino. Last week, you were in Vancouver for the show that you're doing with the, the crew, Healing Gardens, which will be coming up, I suppose, on Vision TV, right? Um, yes, it will. Yeah. So uh, what did you do and who did you meet some of the folks in uh, Vancouver last uh, week? So, so in Vancouver, um, I think, did I mention to you, I met, I met and went on a forest walk, forest therapy, uh, forest therapy walk with a woman named Haida uh, through very, very beautiful, peaceful garden called the Nertobi Memorial Garden at University of British Columbia. And I met with a, a doctor, a family doctor, and she's uh, very involved in park prescriptions. And that's a, a national initiative for healthcare workers to be in tune with how important nature is in our lives and how much nature does heal us, you know, in, in so many different circumstances. Um, and so they've got, they've got a whole sort of um, 
fact sheets that they send to doctors that want to uh, get into this initiative and, and be part of, you know, you know, it's not just writing a prescription for a pill, it's also writing a prescription to get outside, get some fresh air, and get all the benefits of being in a green space. Great. Sounds like you've had a marvelous time thus far, huh? Yeah, it's really, really cool. Where I am now is the Tofino Botanical Garden, which is interesting because um, the gentleman who started it, it, it is a public garden. Um, he, he lived here for a period of time, but his dream was to start a public garden, so he proceeded to do that about 25 years ago. He's, um, he's kind of ready to retire now, but it's actually going to turn out really well because uh, the local indigenous community is going to start up some uh, their own um, sort of healing and learning centers here at these gardens as he the, as the succession plan as he slowly uh, retires out of this public garden and it becomes a learning center for everybody who's at all interested in learning about something some of the traditions and traditional ways of the local indigenous community. It's really cool. Very good. Okay. Um, we have an interesting question. In fact, interesting and uh, somewhat re- reminiscent of last week when so many people were calling in with this problem. And Philip Pelican lets us know that he's uh, got his front lawn infested with white flowers on a vine. And the perennial question, how can I eradicate them forever? Oh, gosh. I know, you know, it's like, you, you can't try and pull them. Forget trying to, trying to pull them. It's, well, you can try, but it's very, very hard to do. Um, here's a kind of a cool idea, though. If you have the time for this kind of thing, you get down on your hands and knees with a pair of scissors and a bunch of little, you know, popsicle sticks or stakes or something that you can mark in your lawn. And you crawl around on your hands and knees. Wherever you find this white flowering weed called bindweed, Follow that back to where it's emerging out of the ground. So it's going to be lying on the ground, but it won't be rooted everywhere. So you follow it back to where it's rooted with a pair of scissors. You snip it off from where it's emerging out of the ground, and then and put a little mark there, a little stake, um, whether it's you can use paint, you know, there's different ways to mark your lawn, and, and then you keep an eye so that as soon as you see emergence of greenery of this bindweed coming from that same spot, again, snip. Eventually, eventually, it's going to take time. If you stay on this and persevere, eventually, by removing the leaves, the roots will shrivel up and die. So it's not an easy fix. But honestly, don't waste your time. You know, the vinegar I mentioned to um, uh, one of our callers there, or to our last email, I should say, that's not going to work on bindweed, nor is Roundup or any of those herbicides. And there's not, it's just not. It, it, not at this time of year particularly. Early in the spring it might work, but not now. Um, and then, of course, there's your old favorite, solarization. Get that tarpaulin out, preferably a dark-colored tarpaulin. Get that down over top of the, where the bindweed is, right down uh, on the you know, mow first. Let get that tarp down as low as you can. Get the edges all uh, firmly uh, on the ground with soil or lumber or rocks or whatever you need to do. And, and it doesn't look pretty, but you can kill bindweed. It's going to take to the end of the summer. I leave the tarps there until next spring. And um, the bindweed will die. Of course, everything else under that tarp will die too. So if it is right, a big chunk of lawn, that is where you have to say to yourself, well, I'm going to have to replant my lawn in the spring, but I shouldn't bindweed free. 
Okay. You know, at the beginning of the show, we always remind folks <clears throat> our little mantra, call early, call often. But if you want to call back, that's great. And one question mm-hmm. per call. Your second question should be a second phone call. And that's mm-hmm. what's happened. Our first caller this morning, Sandra, has called back. We'll deal with her secondary question in just a moment as you listen to The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, as I indicated, we have Sandra online for the second time this morning. Hi, Sandra. Welcome to the show again. Good morning. Thank you for taking my second question. Great. Good morning. Um, Charlie, I'm growing some tomatoes this year, mainly low-acid ones, and I'd like to keep the seeds. I find them difficult plants to find. And I'm just wondering, can I keep them? Um, You know, is it possible to do that and grow the plants next year? It depends what exact kind of seeds they are, what the name is on the package. Some tomato seeds will breed true, meaning save the seeds, you will grow tomatoes next year, and they will be the same tomatoes. I mean, you will definitely get tomatoes next year from those seeds. The question is, will you get low acid? And that just it depends on what the parent's plant is. One of them I know is Jetstar, which is a red mm-hmm. low acid. Mm-hmm. Uh, the others are yellow low acid, and I don't remember the name off the top of my mm-hmm. head. Right, and those are what we call cultivars. So they have their name is in single quotations. So a cultivar traditionally, I mean, there's odds here with the numerically how this works. Numerically, they do not breed true. So you grow this plant. Hold on, let me think for a second. Because, you know, oh, so, and, you know what? It's worth a try. It's, it's a question of who pollinates. The, you know, who pollinates who. If you've got two separate cultivars in the same yard and pollination happens across these two plants, the seeds that ultimately form uh, could be um, same as either of the parents or could be a mix of each of the parents. However, if they're both low-acid tomatoes, then ultimately next year's crop is going to be low-acid as well. So right. it'd be worth it try, you know, to save some seeds. Will they necessarily be exactly as what you've seen this year? Not necessarily. Okay, because I'm growing about four or five different varieties, mm-hmm. and they're all in a, you know, in a row. So, yes, mm-hmm. they're going to get cross-pollinated. Yeah, they will. But if they're all low acid, that's the one thing that they will have in common, all the progeny. Um, maybe it's worth giving it a try. <laughs> yeah, it's what, you know, you could. And, and the problem is you don't know what they are until they've matured enough to give you fruit next year. But, no. um, but you know, tomato seeds do save fairly well, too. So if you did buy full packages of seeds, there's usually 30 or 40 seeds in the package. So, you know, you're, you're only growing two or three of each variety. I'd be more inclined to just save the seeds that you purchased and you at least you know what you're getting next year. Most of them I bought as plant, except for one oh, small yeah. um, cherry tomato, which is a yellow tomato. But there weren't many seeds in the packet. I, I needed all of them to get my three oh. plants. Okay. So. All right. Well, um, do, don't hesitate to check out the Stokes Seeds dot com website they do have a very large that's who i buy from yeah Um, but okay so if i want to keep the seeds what Mm -hmm. do i do 
Well, you, after you've harvested one of the tomatoes, or multi-tomatoes, mm-hmm. um, you're going you're gonna, to, you with your fingers, pull out some of the seeds. Mm-hmm. You're going to wash off the gel that is on the seeds. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to lay the seeds out on dry paper towel overnight until they, they are dry. And then you're going to, usually people will put them in a small envelope and they'll write on the envelope what those seeds are. And then the seeds in the little envelope spend the winter, or until next spring anyway, uh, in a dark, dry situation, dark, cool, dry. And then when you're ready to, to start growing your, your seeds again for next year's uh, crop, which is for me is usually mid to late March, mm-hmm. uh, get the tomato seeds growing, and you'll go to that package and go from there. Okay. Could, could I keep them in a crisp dry? I have a small fridge in the basement. You don't need to. You don't don't keep them chilled. Just keep them at room temperature. At room temperature, not yeah. not chilled. Yeah, yeah. Just when I said cool, I just mean like don't have them in a really hot spot, right beside the furnace or something. But but yeah, just regular room temperature is all they need. But they do they do better if they're kept dry and dark. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks Thank you for calling in again, too, Sandra. Uh, I have a note here from Kathy Champion. Says uh, we had this rose. We've had this rose for over thirty years. Wondering when it'd be a good time to try and take a cutting to graft. I don't want to lose this plant. What's a good fertilizer for this time of year? From Kathy, who says she listens most Saturdays. So hopefully she's tuned in this morning. All right. So thank you for your email, Kathy. It's kind of sweet, right? Kathy Champion is growing Isabel Champion rose. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> now I would like to point out. Hopefully Kathy is listening. She spelled Isabel incorrectly. So the Isabel Champion rose that she's growing in her garden, Isabel is spelled I-S as in Sam, O-B as in Bob, E-L, is Obel. This is a um, gelbard rose. So this rose originally was selected and grown in France. And it was ultimately adopted as a a good, you know, vigorous variety Mm -hmm. for Canada, by uh, White Rose Nursery, and it was produced by White Rose and sold at White Rose for a number of years until they went out of business. So what do you do? Well, there is one suggestion I have, uh, Kathy, again, if you're listening, Google Rambling Rose Nursery. They're in Bloomfield in Prince Edward County, not far from me. The gentleman who runs it used to be the rose grower at White Rose Nursery. And he did bring quite a lot of rose stock, if you will, material, and he has been growing quite a number of the old white rose roses. I would call Tim at Rambling Rose Nursery and ask him, do you have Isabel Champion Rose? Otherwise, I have no idea where you get it. Like, it's just one of those um, white rose had some very exclusive roses because that was just the way things were done at White Rose. So, um, uh, and or the idea of taking cutting yourself will not work. Okay. Yes, you can try, but it will not work in the long run. The Isabel Champion um, cutting the the stem and the flowers and leaves will grow, but the roots that grow will not be hardy enough or vigorous enough to support the plant in the long term in throughout the seasons in Ontario. It needs to be grafted onto a different rootstock, and that's another whole you know seminar. So we won't get into grafting, but point is. You can try and take a cutting, but it won't ultimately work in the long run. When do you fertilize roses? In the spring. In the spring, in the spring, in the spring, when they're actively just waking up is what I, I do. And I'll use a, a granular rose food, um, 
you know, unless you love mixing your stuff up in the watering can, if you like them, the water soluble, do that once a month. But of course, this is our last month for fertilizing any of our garden plants. But I, with roses, I'll typically just do a granular fertilizing in the spring when I'm pruning them back. So that might be May or whenever it is. And then they get a handful or two handfuls, depending on the size of the rose, around the, um, you know, over top of the roots. And then the rain takes the fertilizer down to the roots. Okay. Uh, we're up to our final break uh, in the show. So uh, we have Joy online just around the corner, maybe here in Toronto, ready to ask a question. But let's take that break and give our sponsors a chance to get their words on the air here on Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All righty. Charlie, let's bring a little joy into your life. Oh, there's joy on the line right around the corner. Hi, good morning, Joy. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good morning. Good morning. I've got a purple smoke bush which started off as a bush and now it's grown into a tree which is maybe 10, 12 feet tall with bare, long, long branches with just the fuzz at the ends. Oh, yeah. Is there any way I can prune these back and retain oh. some life in that, or is it too late? Oh, no, of course you can. Um, what I would do, like, July is not the optimal time to do radical pruning on plants. If you can wait, I would wait until mm, August, you know, when things get a little cooler, sort of early autumn, late summer, and you can take up to a third off that plant. Or you can wait till next spring. But either way, you can definitely bring it right back, bring it down, bring it in. Be quite, they're, they're quite a, as you recognize, quite a vigorous plant. They grow quite fast and big. So um, if you wait until the spring, you could, take it, you could shrink it by as much as a half. If you're doing your pruning this summer slash fall, I would remove more than a third at a time. But, yeah, just by taking all those tips off, uh, you're going to cause some emergence of um, dormant buds. So you will see some more green coming out or purple, as the case may be, um, after you prune. Just make sure that when the pruning happens, there are some leaves still on it. You cannot prune a plant when there's no leaves left, because that will kill it. Okay. Thank you very much indeed. You're very welcome. Okay. Uh, we do have time for another email here. This is from Bill Fulton. So, says, hi, Charlie. If you spray your plants with boro mixture uh, to control blight, we, uh, you will inevitably get some of the product on your tomato fruit. Will the tomatoes be safe to eat? There you go. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeedy. So he called it boro, but what he really meant was Bordeaux. Bordeaux, ah, right. The, and it's, it's interesting because it was the original fungicide that was invented hundreds of years ago, actually, and it was invented in Bordeaux, France, for use on the grapes because grapes would get mildews on them, uh, which is fungal diseases, and they would lose the crop. So, of course, Bill's point is uh, the blight, we've got different kinds of blights on tomatoes, early, mid, and late blight, and they are fungal diseases. So he's thinking, I guess, to be preemptive and prevent the blight by considering spraying Bordeaux onto his tomatoes in advance. So take a close look at what the directions are on the package. Personally, Bill, I'd be a little hesitant because Bordeaux is copper sulfate. Um, sulfur will not hurt you, but copper can be toxic to all living things. And that can be, include, you know, insects, <clears throat> fungi, fungi, and people. So there are other fungicides that are 
strictly sulfur-based. So take a look. See what's out there. Choose what's going to best work for you. I think you'll find if you look at the directions on the Bordeaux package, they won't recommend it for edible crops. They'll recommend it more for ornamental crops. So, um, And the other thing to keep in mind is that Bordeaux will, will help prevent early blight, but you use this only as needed. And after we get past the early blight stage, well, into August, then forget it. Don't even think about Bordeaux. It will not control the later blights. Okay. Now, uh, mm-hmm. we have time for one more question, or we could hold that, and maybe you can just refresh folks <laughs> why you're out on the West Coast and what you're doing. And uh, for those of you who might not have been able to tune in right off the top of the show, Charlie is in Tofino, British Columbia, on the island there. And uh, you've been taping shows for uh, Healing Gardens, the name of the show, which will be aired sometime next, well, later this year, I guess. Well, probably be later, like this time next year. Right. Because what, it's a 10-episode documentary, so each documentary will be half an hour long, and we'll have a real theme to it. So, theming-wise, uh, the two episodes we've taped so far, since we've been in British Columbia, one, the theme was how trees and how forests make a difference in our lives, how they heal us mentally and physically. Crazy stuff. Like, did you know that you spend 20 minutes in a forest, breathing deeply, having a nice slow walk, you will have boosted your immune system and its ability to protect you by as much as, I think it's like 40%. Really? And that 40% boost after 20 minutes in the forest will stay in your body for up to a week. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. No, you know, so it's that kind of stuff that I've been learning, and I've been, you know, obviously learning from experts in their field. I spoke with a guy who is a psilocybin microdoser, and that's another whole, you know, kettle yeah. of fish in terms of why he was microdose. Psilocybin is a form of mushroom, and why he did that. And his story is just, it just grabs you by the throat and doesn't let you down. It's just a wild and wacky story that uh, this gentleman, his name was Chris Beaudry, um, who has been through, well, just a snippet, he was one of the assistant coaches of the Humboldt hockey team. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the high school hockey team yep. that was involved in that horrible accident. He was not in the bus. He was behind the bus, wow. driving separately in a truck. And when the horrible accident happened, he was basically right behind them uh, very early on the scene and became the main... Uh, identifier of all the, the young men and, and others who had been killed in that crash, and it devastated him. He just, he just like, basically, PTSD, you know, capital letters uh, took over his life. I don't life. think so, we can really imagine or appreciate, you know, what no, he had to go through. but he does a really good job explaining it. So oh, I'm telling you, just fascinating stuff. That's true. So I don't mean to leave you on such a low... Well, well I was going to say, <laughs> but, keep smiling but, there, Charlie. We uh, are no, on to no, no, our but, final 15 so, seconds of the show. I know, I know. But just, the point is, is that he's doing a lot better now, because he's right. microdosing psilocybin <laughs> okay. mushrooms. So anyway, it's pretty positive. It's very upbeat, and it's, I'm having a blast. Thank you, Frankie. Okay, hon. Have a great week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.